0: And thank you for joining me for another podcast, Um, talking all things TCK, talking about, um, well, my own third culture kid experiences, um, and also the things that have come up for me um, as week by week goes by around what I'm learning from my third culture kid clients, and just that ongoing journey of making sense of our stories. And today I want to talk about language and about language loss. It's something close to my heart and it's something that comes up um, with my clients as well. So um, I'm hoping this will resonate um, and make make sense to you as well um, as, as you listen. So have I mentioned I have the best job in the world? One of the many joys my work offers me is the chance to stretch my linguistic muscles. I grew up speaking French as a second language because of Niger being an old French colony. And it didn't hurt that my mother was a French teacher either. So this language was wrapped into our homeschooling lives. Then I took a double major, dual honours for the British People listening at university, um, so that I could continue what I'd gained so far in French, um, as well as taking on sociology at university. It's a wonderful thing to be able to hold on to this language and to continue to develop it. It offered a kind of identity continuity in my life when so much else was changing at that time. Now, over the years, my vocabulary has shrunk and my grammatical confidence, which was always my weakest spot, to be fair, has dwindled. I simply haven't had as many opportunities to practice the language in my daily life. But in my work, there are moments where a TCK speaks French as a primary language and wants to use a word from this language to explain or to express something they're feeling. And then it's a delightful thing to be able to understand enough to make space for that in our session. Or the TCK speaks French as a second or third or fourth language and just wants to be able to access a part of their identity that's really only accessible in French. So we move into this language for part or all of the session. Sometimes the TCK wants to use French in the session because there is a moment of privacy concern. They're travelling or staying with friends or family and they don't want to be overheard or understood. So we can use French as a privacy screen to get them some peace in speaking their thoughts aloud. French could show up for any of these reasons and it always delights me and nudges me back to my grammar books to keep working on my own links to this language. Because French is definitely one of my identity props and it needs watering to grow. But this week, I downloaded a new language learning app called Bluebird. I'm sure others exist and this isn't a paid endorsement at all, but I found this app when I was looking for help with Hausa. Hausa is a West African language that was my first language. I spoke earlier of French being a second language, but in reality, The languages in my story, like for so many of us, is just more complicated than a nice, neat, linear, first language, second language, third language. I'm told by my family that my first words were actually in Hausa, Bani, give me. And this used to... (laughs) let I me mean, talk about first word choices. But this used to land a bit heavy for me as a story. Why couldn't they have been a cute mama or, as for so many British kids, some kind of tar, which is the shorthand for thanks. That's the localism around my area here in England. But given the context, "barneet" makes a lot of sense. Context always makes things make sense, right? In Hausa culture, if you see a baby holding something, you ask them to give it to you, Barney. And if they comply, you praise them, give it back, and start again. If the baby doesn't want to give it up, you laugh and you tease and you say, Ah, that's the youngest child. The willingness to share is a prized characteristic in this culture, and you encourage the trait in babies from a young age. This is much less of a British thing. I've learnt the hard way that if you encourage a baby to give you something they're holding, here, they cry immediately and everyone stares at you. Cultures are conflicting things. But as a child, I was also learning English and French, and I'm told a little German. My parents were learning Hausa through classes at my birth, and I was hearing my mother speaking French to the lady who helped us in our home. And at one point, we stayed with a German family, or something like that. Upon my first visit to the UK my parents wrote up a vocab list for my grandparents so they could understand me. Some words would come out in Hausa, water was rua, and some in French, eggs were oof, etc. I'm told I was fluent in Hausa up until the age of five. I have no memory of this fluency. But I also apparently struggled more with English. And at some point, my mother gave up French in the home as well, as it was too much for her to manage, given her own language learning with Hausa at the time. I've got no memory of my own fluency because my first language was lost at the age of five. At five years old, I went to the UK for a year, and this was probably one of the most formative years of my life. It's probably something I keep coming back to in these podcasts. It was formative and so white. I'd never seen so many white people and it dawned on me during this year that I was one of them. I completely lost my house and really struggled to settle into school. I say struggled to settle as if, you know, I was eventually victorious. I wasn't. I just struggled and everything was frightening. And I know I'm not alone in this story. As with all TCKs, the particularities of our stories are our own, but the sensations are often shared. In that year, English rose as my first language and I lost my mother tongue. The grief of this is still sharp. Despite my return to Niger and continuing to live here as a primary home until I was 16, I never regained Hausa. It became harder and harder to do so as schooling continued, as we never had Hausa language classes offered at the international school. There were other priorities. What else do we lose when we lose language, though? I lost friendships. I lost the ability to communicate fluently with our housekeeper and her husband, who were absolutely pivotal in my emotional world. Not only had I lost the comfort of their presence for a whole year of strange white people, but now I couldn't greet them or chatter to them either. Goodness knows what they thought of it. This little white child coming back a stranger to them. And the additional pain of this is that my parents are still fluent. They learnt as adults, and no transition trauma shook this language out of their heads. They have held on to their third language in a way I, as virtually a native speaker, couldn't. It's tempting to be frustrated with myself here, but when I apply a little compassion, I can have pity for all my brain was trying to hold on to. That year in England taught me something crucial about my identity, that I was white and that I was English, and that this was the identity that would come to ultimately claim me. I felt I had to choose where to put my energy in English. An English nurse won that battle. I wish we'd kept speaking Hausa as a family at home. I wish my parents could have recognised the danger of this loss looming, but they didn't. They had their own stresses and simply couldn't see how important it was to me. And even if they had, who knows if they'd have had the capacity in the midst of their own transitions. My story is not yours in the details. But so many of you listening will recognise the losses I'm speaking of, the regrets and the pain. Language connects us to others, sure. But in doing so, it also connects us to the selves we are with these different people and cultures and to our own story. How many TCKs I've spoke to speak of the pain of not having fluency in the languages of their host countries? How much harder is it to claim a place as part of our story when we don't speak its language? And so back to the app. It's never going to get me fluent again. And I've limited access to other houser speakers, so practice would be hard. Dang, it feels good to have some positive action I can take towards reclaiming connection to this piece of myself. I've put it off for years, of course. It's been painful and tender, and I've not wanted to poke at it. I've not wanted to encounter just how much of a beginner I'll be. Just how hard it might be to hear the sounds both familiar and incomprehensible. But I'm glad I'm here now. I've taken the time I needed to edge around this need, this hope, and now I'm at the edge of it, toes in the water. Being a learner in a language we feel we should already know is hard. How many of you listening have felt this about languages you share with your family, immediate and extended? Were you educated in a language not shared as a primary language with your parent or with your grandparents? What did that do to your story of language, to the fluency of your communications, to your sense of belonging? We can treat language purely as a social resource, a tool that connects us to other people. And it is a tool. But it's more a tool deeply welded to our core. We can't just put it down and pick it up. It's there all the time, reminding us who we are and who we are not. When a language skill is deemed inadequate by others around us, we don't get the message that we simply have a skill that needs more practice, but that we are somehow inadequate. Language is us, and we are language. In a conversation with Tanya Crossman recently of the wonderful Third Culture Kid book, Misunderstood, She recalls seeing friends of hers be able to express themselves fully in one linguistic space, and in another they became, in her words, toned-down versions of themselves. Muted. It's hard to feel truly connected to the people around us if we're limited to these toned-down versions. And language is often what can bring out the full colour of ourselves. People talk about being slightly different versions of themselves in different languages, and accents too for that matter. When we aren't able to find an outlet for one or more of these languages, we can often feel a portal closing down, shutting us out of that part of us that this language accesses, and that's another loss we can add to the pile. While I acknowledge and feel this loss myself sharply, and I do, I can also feel the tender hope and relief of having an app on my phone that reopens one of my portals. It's not the same, and that doesn't diminish the grief. But I can go and visit app. And work to reconnect a little to that very young me who was once so fluent. I can advocate in my adult self for it being worth the time. And the more I visit, the more strength I give this identity prop of mine. The more real this chapter of my story becomes. I can start to integrate it more and more into my daily life. I do this already with some art pieces in my home, some recipes I revisit, the fabric I use in my decor. But to connect to the language of this chapter of my life would feel so honouring, so integrative. And it invite more groundedness to my story of growing up in Niger. What would it mean to you to strengthen these identity props? difference would it make to how you tell your story? And I'm wondering now about anyone listening, if you could connect to a language in your story, which one would it be? Are there languages you've lost or languages you've never learned or languages you never learned to the degree you'd have liked to have done? So what now? How do you want to engage with them now? What options are open to you and what would feel what would it feel like to take a step towards them? You're not alone. Your story matters. Thank you for listening.